You are on Max's Island, a podcast by Meet Max Power. On Max's Island podcast, you'll hear the lived experiences of people who choose to live life a little differently. It might be a story of when they took time out and dared to do something crazy. Perhaps they made a decision to leave it all behind and follow their dreams. Or maybe they just stopped listening to what other people thought and did what was right for them. This experience becomes a story that is part of them and one that you need to hear. So, now that you're on Max's Island, listen to the wisdom in these stories and you too will be inspired to do what you have always wanted to do. Well, today on Max's Island, I've got Paul Price with me. Paul is the producer and creator of the Inspired Peak Performance Flowcast and was a former world number four squash player and most recently, the Australian coach. Welcome to Max's Island. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. So, Paul, as we go through with all our guests on Max's Island, we like to hear that story of somebody's life or, or a story within somebody's life where they made a change where something was either forced on them or they made a decision to do something quite different to what they've done in the past. What story do you have for us today? Well, I guess um, in thinking about this, there was a number of stories that did come to mind in sharing. And, um, you know, I've gone through a couple of different transitions in my life, but the, the one that I'll, I'll choose to share today is is more about the transition I've, I've come across in the last sort of 24 months, really but more importantly, the last year. And, you know, as you mentioned, I was the Australian national squash coach uh, working for Squash Australia uh, up until about August last year. And I um, uh, sort of been really passionate about that role and found myself in some challenging situations with the, with the organization and just found myself sort of heading down a, a sort of darker path of, of not being um, fulfilled and, yeah, really challenged and not not feeling that spark anymore. And so I, I, I recognized for a while there that, you know, if I kept going down this road and in this environment, I was going to be no good to anybody. And, and, and what I was, what I really realized was that there was no one at that point getting the best of me. And, and most importantly, my family were not getting the best of me. I wasn't getting the best of myself and the players that I was passionate about working with weren't getting the best of me either. So I, I made a decision to remove myself from, from that environment, um, kind of cold turkey, without a, a direction to head to. And kind of my philosophy on that was I'd rather the stress of not knowing what's next as opposed to the stress of what I was being exposed to in a workplace. So I finished up in August last year on the back end of the World Junior Championships. We took the Australian junior team to Kuala Lumpur for the... Uh, for the world juniors and and the and the we the girls team there finished with a with a great result so it was a nice way to sort of cap off my uh my national coaching role 
So, Paul, for you, that is a bit of an end to a significant part of your life because you had been in the squash world as a professional for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, squash had been pretty much a big part of my, or the biggest part of my life, I would say, for since I was the age of 13. So almost uh, you know, a good 30 years right there of immersing myself in an environment that gave me so much uh, joy and, and I was extremely passionate about it and, uh, and I love the sport. The sport's phenomenal and uh, it's, I'm, I'm extremely grateful for the life it's given me. So it was, it was a big thing, but it was probably something that had been coming for quite a long time um, when it, on reflection of that not really knowing it during the, the, the span of it. But um, so, yeah, so once I, I sort of stepped away from it, it was then time, the biggest, I think the biggest challenge was in front of me and trying to figure out kind of who I was from that moment forward. And we hear about this at times with athletes that they get their identity wrapped up in the sport and they become their, their results, they become their rankings, they become their, their positions and, and, and not just athletes, but you know, generally a lot of high performers um, attach their identity to to what they do um, and, and you can't get lost in who you are in a lot of that mess. And that's where I realized the place that I was in. I, I, I actually came out of that not knowing really who I was or what I was passionate about anymore. And that was a really um, foreign place for me to be because um, I've kind of chased passion around all my life. Like I, I, I fell in love with squash. So I chased a career in squash and became you know, one of the best players in the world through through following that passion. And then um, on that journey, to, to tail into that journey, I, I was passionate about music, playing guitar, writing and singing songs. So I, I became a musician and I recorded albums and, and did that part as well. And then the back end of that, I got more passionate about coaching athletes, uh, which is which led me to uh, the national coaching role eventually. And and then, yeah, so stepping away. So that was all, you know, such a massive part of my life. There was a lot to, to let go of. You often, you know, hear of that of professional sportsmen when their career's over, that there's this, this void. Now, most of the time as a professional sportsman, your career's determined for you by the, the body breaking down or you've just come to the end of your, your, your life as a, as a performance athlete. Now, you had stayed within the system for some time after finishing your competitive playing days. So to actually then step away must have been an incredibly difficult decision to make. Yeah, it, it was for sure. Because you love, the, you, know, you love that sport. It, it's given me so much. And I felt like I could add value to the sport um, here in Australia. And, uh, and you sort of have a vision for that. But when that sort of vision is, is sort of compressed and you're not sort of uh, empowered to to use that creativity and that vision and, and bring that vision to life. It, it's, it's very stifling and, 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 it, and it led me to a really, you know, place where I was hurting and, and I needed to, I just needed to move on. And I figured that I could, I could find another way to, to make an impact on our sport if I chose to. The first sort of three or four months after leaving, I was really unsure and uncertain of what the future would hold. You know, I looked into, I did my cert three and four fitness. Um, I was a part owner in an F45 gym in Melbourne as well. So I, I'd considered opening another gym franchise up on the Gold Coast um, where we where we're living. And after going through that course and sort of being diligent with my feelings and, and thoughts about what I really wanted to step into, you know, this this part of my life, it just something didn't sort of seem right. Like I wasn't 
fully passionate about it. And then I, I stumbled across a quote by a guy named uh, Howard Thurman. And I won't, I won't be able to nail this quote exactly, but it was along the lines of, don't ask what the world needs, ask what lights you up. Because what the world needs is a whole bunch of people that are lit up. And when I read that quote, Tony, it just, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, and I, I get goosebumps thinking about it now. There was this thing inside me that led me to chase those things in my life that I loved. And I always explained it as, I just have to do the thing I wake up thinking most about. That was, that was my driving force in life. How did you know what to do? You've, you've got this spark, this quote, this thing that is now guiding you, a guiding light, but how did you know what to do next? I didn't. I had an inclination and I sort of, again, there's a lot of reflection, a lot of reflection. And, you know, I was sort of coming out of um, a depressive state and I was suffering with, suffering with some mental, some mental health uh, challenges, you know, that I developed through, through that period and unpacking it and, and really being curious about what it all was, where it came from and what it meant for me as a, as a father and as a husband and as, as a person in general and what it would mean for my future endeavors. I just, I was focused on getting back to myself first and foremost. Like that was the thing I thought. And a couple of players asked if I'd work with them on the court and things like that. But I, I said, look, I, I can't go back on the squash court right now. I just, I'm not interested in that. And I got an email one day from a, from a young player who said, a squash player who who asked me if I could um, share my my knowledge on visualization with him. And visualization was a huge part of my training as an athlete. Um, and it always has been, even still to today, I visualize a lot of stuff. So I said, sure, man, like, let's, I'd love to talk about that. And um, I said, why don't we, you know, come meet me, we'll have a coffee and we'll sit down and chat. And uh, he goes, oh, that'd be awesome. So I met up with this young guy and, uh, we chatted for like two and a half hours and the two and a half hours flew by. Like it was in a blink of an eye. And I was, and I came out of the, and at the end of that conversation, I said, look, I said, it's really hard to like grasp. I said, look, what if we did some, you know, the next three months we'll do some work together. You know, I've got an interest in mental skills and coaching in that area. So maybe we'll just do some work together and see what happens. He goes, yeah, I'd love that. I walked away from that conversation with that feeling that feeling that was like I was lit up like sharing that knowledge sharing that thing and the helping someone else with that those sort of little aha moments or it really just you know it was inside my soul and uh, I walked away from that going I thought about this life coaching thing about five six years ago but the squash coaching element was an easy path an easy pathway for me so I didn't follow up on that I didn't pursue that part. It seemed a little bit more difficult at the time than the squash coaching. So I started looking back into that again and uh, doing some research on courses and things like that. And uh, and as I did that, I, I signed up for, I went to some seminars and some events and online stuff. And I, I sort of, I started working with a couple other squash players as well on the same lines of as what I was working with this young player. And I just, I just freaking loved it. Like it was just, it was so cool. And I was, and I was able to help them. I, you know, it was the knowledge I had. It, it surprised me how well I could, tr- I could translate it into contextual value for them. And they kept coming back as well. So I thought, 
okay, well, I must be doing something right. But it, it was that feeling that I that I got from it that really kind of directed that path. But going back to that original question, like how did I know what to do? I just I just kind of went back to trusting my instincts again, and trusting that feeling and going, I'll find it. But I've got to, I've got to keep as long as I keep moving and exposing myself to things and information and opportunities and <clears throat> conversations, something will. I'll find it. I'll find it. I, 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 I'm too much of a passionate person and driven to, to not find something. And, uh, and maybe that fear of not finding something was the thing that drives me to, to go and do it. So I, I took a course um, in life coaching in Sydney uh, in March and learned some really great and valuable information and learned a lot about uh, the ego and the shadow, my shadow self and things and unpacked a lot of stuff. And, and that was that was mind blowing the, the stuff I learned there and, and the impact that it's had on myself and the clients that I work with now and what it leads to and the, and the transition of that ego. You know, we, the, the saying, you know, the, the ego is the enemy. You know, I, I I think the ego is the enemy only if you don't befriend it and, and, and learn how to work with it, because I honestly believe that that middle ground right there is, is a superpower. If you can harness that superpower, you're going to find, you're going to unlock some significant uh, uh, power in your life that's going to add a lot of value and, and, and bring you lots of things that, you are, that you're looking for. But around about the same time, I discovered a guy named Stephen Kotler. I found him on this short mini course that um, Mind Valley uh, had. It was called the habit of ferocity, and I listened that they did like a free webcast thing as as you do, and then uh, and then they sold like a mini course after that. But the the information he shared in that little webcast blew my mind because it basically explained my entire life right there. And he talked about flow and flow states and what that was and being in the zone and all this sort of stuff, and it instantly I. I related it to my squash career and, and playing music. Just being in that moment, that present moment, being so wrapped and you know, full attention on the task at hand. So, I, so I, I connected with this idea of this flow very quickly. And that, so I did a bit more reading and research, looked into Stephen Kotler a bit more, started reading some of his books, some of the um, online stuff that he has, YouTube clips. I started devouring everything about flow and flow state and then realized that holy crap, like I've just basically spent my life chasing this flow experience, that very thing that lights me up around the, around for the last 40 odd years. And I even track that back to when I was a little kid, you know, pretending I was ace freely in my bedroom with a, you know, with a, with a random tennis racket or a squash racket in my hand, jumping up and down on my bed, imagining I was uh, Stefan Edberg in the backyard playing tennis with my brother or, kicking a footy around being Peter Dacos. You know, this, this imagination thing that I tapped into and but this flow state, this feeling of it. So I got super curious about that and decided to uh, start studying with the Flow Research Collective. I think it was about April, April this year. And instantly, yeah, just the more I've learned about it, unpacking the neuroscience behind it, the, the neurobiology that's involved. And every time I learned that bit more information, it just connected the dots about, you know myself and and what it, and and that feeling and going i finally have i have an explanation to what i've felt in those moments of playing squash and playing music and 
but even also it made me understand also the the really crappy stuff I've done as well. <laughs> Maybe a partying, partying a bit, bit too much at times. Like these flow moments, these moments of ecstasy and how we get wrapped into it and, and how it can lead to, to great things and, and also bad things. But not having any knowledge or understanding of what it was or how to control it and use it to my advantage and manipulate the situation to work in my favour rather than sort of being at, a, at the mercy of that feeling and just following it down the good path and the, and the dark path, it now gave me that knowledge to go, hey, man, I, I know how to control this now. You've talked very much about it from a personal point of view and the revelation you had personally and how it impacted on your own psyche and your own sort of mental capacity. Was it very clear early on that you could use it from a business point of view, or at least to shape your future outside of yourself and in the sense of, um, you know, developing another career? I think the moment that I heard the information and the science behind it, I connected the dots very quickly around how I could use my experience of what I've, the way I've led my life to help other people find that thing inside them that lights them up by helping them understand what underpins the, the experience and how you kind of need to optimize yourself for that to show up because flow state is an elusive experience for most people it's a very fleeting and very random thing that you know 20 years ago we didn't really know how to get it it was just sort of this thing that we would hope would show up especially as an athlete or a musician you would um so in in business my first question was like can we can you teach everyday people in any field or any industry to tap into this experience and then as i as i learned through my study and my learning yeah you can you can but there's certain conditions that have to be met is the peak performance state our brains and our body are hardwired for this experience to happen it's how it's, it's how the impossible keeps getting done when we think it can't get it it can't get any better it's the human potential that people keep tapping into that's where it, that's where it all exists those those moments of those freak moments that that just sort of keep seem to come out of nowhere you know a lot of them are underpinned by the, the state of flow or um or along the, the on along the path of it anyways then so I, you know the last six months i've that's what I've immersed myself in is flow state, optimizing myself, learning about how to get it more for myself so that I can then teach my clients uh, to get it. And, and now, yeah, so I'm, I'm in the middle of finishing up my uh, study with a flow research collective um, to become an official flow, uh, accredited flow trainer through their programs. So and it's been phenomenal. So yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting. It's really exciting to me. You are going to be credited pretty soon. So what's your, been your experience so far in connecting with people in the corporate world in, in, the, in the business sense? Uh, what's their reaction been? Have they really embraced it or have you had to try to sell a concept to, to organisations to understand the value of their employees operating in a, in a peak performance environment? At this point, the limited exposure I've had to talking to people about flow in organisations especially, which is something I'm hugely passionate about because there's the there's the well-being piece of people in, in your organization your people are 
uh, you're either looking after your people or you're, or you're kind of not. And, and what I love about the flow conversation is that you kind of can tap into both areas because you can't do peak performance without optimal well-being. You can't be in a negative headspace or a negative physical space and think that you're going to perform at your peak. You, know, you can't be, you can't not be fully recovered and ready for the day ahead of you and think that you're going to drop into flow and you know, knock it out of the park every day. It's just not possible. So you really got to take care of the well-being of, of your people first and foremost before you can even start the conversation of getting into peak performance. And, and that's the beauty about this because especially at that top end where you know, we're all governed by KPIs and we're all driven by turnover and profit and you know, expenses and all these things that are generally the things that are put people's necks on the chopping blocks draws them into fear of losing their job, drags them into all these negative spaces where they can't get peak performance either. And that just filters down through the organization. So you really get to talk about both conversations pieces and, and the challenge we have with flow state is that we know it's a win-win. It's, it's, a, it's almost, it's like, it's a no-brainer. Like if you can embed flow into the, into the culture of your organization and make it a value, something that is valued and there's a shared language around it, my God, you could build a, a performance machine and a well-being machine together hand in hand that will light your people up, align them to the values of the company and align them to their own values and, and desires and needs. And when you get people lit up like that, turning up to work daily, you know, there's not much they won't do for the organization if they feel like they're, if they're sort of there their seeking systems are engaged like that. They're getting that reward and that positivity that there's so much power in it. I've actually had this conversation with a mentor of both yours and mine, Claire Sarah Goodrich, around how organisations are going to come out of this disruptive society we're in at the moment, especially organisations who uh, embrace their staff and embrace the well-being of their staff and really engage with them to perform coming out of what in a lot of cases has been a very trying time for them. The default situation for a lot of organisations and a lot of traditional CEOs will be just simply cut costs, uh, make some people redundant. That puts the fear in the people that are still there. And whilst it might look good on the bottom line for the first six months, the reality is your greatest asset, your people, aren't going to deliver long term and the organisation will suffer. And so those organisations that are able to identify a new way or a way of ensuring that their team members are motivated, are developing in a way for the future, then there's sensational opportunities for those organisations. So I think those companies and organisations that embrace this, these sorts of opportunities are the ones that are going to, in five years' time, will be the... The, the big winners and the those that are making the biggest contribution. Yeah, absolutely. I think that this this year, 2020, is, is a game-changing year for, for those that want to take the opportunity to really shift their thinking and shift their understanding. And that comes from a board level, from a CEO level, executives, management, and leading by example. So peak performance starts at the top. It's a top-down and bottom-up process. And, you know, those leaders at the top of the organization who go, you know, what happens 
what happens if we put our people first? What happens if we, we make it a priority, first and foremost, that our people show up healthy, happy, and excited about not only working in our organization, but their life in general? You get happier people going home to their families, the ripple effect that that has on children, um, to, to partners, um, and then out into the, the, the big world. And people, you know, that, that humanistic need of belonging, you know, people want a sense of belonging. They want to know they're being looked after. They want to know they're cared about. And by putting their well-being at the forefront of your organization, it really shows that you are genuinely caring about them. But not from a point where you just go, oh, we're going to put a program in place. We're going to bring in some coaches and some training programs. You know, here's a well-being protocols. Let's go and do that and expect. And then the leaders kind of just continue about their merry way, you know, not optimizing themselves, not sharing that language, not sharing the, the discipline that's required in optimizing your, yourself for performance and your well-being. You know, taking that time to really to practice gratitude, to practice meditation, to practice eating healthy, nutrition, sleeping, you know, optimize your sleep. So it really is an opportunity for those leaders to go, where will we be in five years, five to 10 years? And if we do not put our people first, we might not exist at that period of time, given, especially in today's lay of the land. Paul, I think that's some, some really telling um, and precise assessment of, of the current situation and, and the, the pivoting moment that we are in. You know, that's an overused word, I know, at this point in time, but it really is an opportunity for, for those to go off on a slightly different tangent and get a, a, make some significant gains over their competitors and, and also in, improve, as you rightfully pointed out, the, the health of their employees. And even if those employees move on, well, that's a great thing because they're, they're likely to take that enthusiasm, that happiness, that, that new well-being and, and, and spread it you know, throughout the economy. So as we wind up, Paul, mm. and, I, and I think there will be an opportunity for us to regroup in the future when you've seen some of the work that you're doing with these organisations and been able to really give some examples of, of where you've seen some, some massive changes and, and time is the thing that will tell there. But as we wind up, uh, is there anything that you're particularly looking forward to over the next couple of months and also, give us a plug for your flowcast. I mean, I think that at this point in time, there's, there's so many exciting things ahead in the future, not just for myself, but for for everyone in, in general. And just to, just to add on to what you just finished with there on the organizational front there, I think that at, at this point in time, like, what is there to lose, really? I mean, if there's ever, ever been a, a better time to pivot and change your behavior your values and and or actually start living what's written on the wall in your organization or in your team locker room and there's never been a better time to start actually doing that stuff than now i don't know what what is like you know people are hurting people are really needing genuine deep connection so like step into that courage step into that vulnerability you don't need to know the answers you just need to to go fuck let, let's do this together you know um, and, and let's have a crack. But if there's ever a time to change and, and lean a different way to see what will happen, it probably is. This is this is the time here and now. And and there's no, I, I don't see a any way you could lose in this situation um, if you did pivot towards the 
you know, whether it's the flow science or whatever, but well-being and performance go hand in hand. So, and you can't have the performance without well-being. So that's got to be your starting point. But for me in particular, I'm, I'm focused on how I can get this to, to more organizations, how I can uh, have more conversations, um, present this information to, to more organizations and leaders, work hand in hand with them, partner with them to sort of really create a, a vision of like what, what would it look like for your organization to, to be really truly lit up and have a, have a team of people that show up to work day in, day out that are getting into flow. So they, they're tapping into that 500% more productivity, 490% more creativity, pattern recognition, learning skills, the enhancements in that this state provides us. If you're not, if you're not tapping into it and your competition is, you've got no chance. It, it truly is a legitimate performance enhancing drug that, um, that you're either going to learn about and tap into or you're not. So I'm really excited about having more conversations along those fronts. Whether it's to change the framework around what high performance, peak performance language looks like, because it's not about grinding it out. It's not about working harder. It's about working smarter, being kinder, more gentle. Um, it's, it's about having deeper connections with our colleagues and friends and family and spending more time doing the shit that lights you up. So I'm excited about that. I'm, I'm creating a few programs. Uh, I'm working one-on-one with some people right now, which I'm, I'm loving and open to take on a few more clients at the moment, but really trying to put together a program for next year that will, will come in three stages. You know, I've taken a lot of courses over the last year or so around short four week, eight week courses. And what I've learned from that has been fantastic, but integrating the things you learn, it takes time. Like it's, it really is a journey and it's not I've done this course in four weeks and I know the information now and just because you know it doesn't mean you're actually taking advantage of it and embedding it into your lifestyle and making it part of your value system and part of your philosophy so the program will be designed to take a small cohort of people through a 12-month real transformative program based around vision and visualization the shadow values the shadow ego self and also flow state um, because they're all three of those things in my opinion are very tightly linked and i believe they all feed into each other beautifully that can create some magical moments so there'll be that journey and that support network it'll be really you know i'm really excited about it i'm sort of piecing that all together at the moment but in the meantime um inspiredpeakperformance.com is my website got videos up on uh, instagram at inspired peak performance and um, yeah my flowcast so i've just launched my own podcast which has given me more flow than i could uh that i thought possible actually um doing that i I really love you know being on the other end of the of the interview process as well listening to other people's stories and sort of identifying those little beautiful moments of of the epic things that they do in their life to that that may have a link to what flow state is or how it links to the sort of the philosophies that I have. So uh, and I've, I've learned so much in just the four or five short episodes that I've recorded already. Um, and that, that's the inspired peak performance flowcast. And you can find that on Apple, Spotify uh, and Podbean, uh, or obviously via my website. So yeah, it's a long story uh, about what's exciting me in the future, but um, 
but yeah, there's lots to get excited about. And but just having an overall impact, I really want to have an impact on people's inner being of just that being lit up and just living a more joyful, happy, fulfilled, and uh, satisfied life. Well, Paul, thanks very much for being on Max's Island. There's a couple of things that have come out, and you said it a number of times. There's nothing to lose, and and what a great time to be lit up. So thanks for being on Max's Island and, yeah. and lighting us up and good luck in the future. Thank you so much. I really, really uh, am grateful for you having me on and uh, yeah, look forward to uh, coming back on another time. We spoke on the bus on the way home from work. He was lost in the details of life. Each day was a blur, all work and no play And how, how it had turned out this way He told me his plan, a short-term escape Five weeks on the Bibbulmin track Go it alone, no one to blame If he finished or fell by the way sense was engaged, his mind was as clear as the sky, completely alone, no emails or phone and nothing.